0: My name is Lanshee, and I'll be reading today's scripture, which comes from Hebrews 4, 14, 5, 3. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word, Hebrews 4, 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 5.1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. This is the reading of God's word, and now let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word.
1: <laughs> Thank you to to our, our dear sister Lanshee for reading the scriptures for us. I think you left the sheet up here. Uh, this is an honor and privilege to continue to go through the book of Hebrews, one of on the third message today. It's entitled Supremacy, and we just read a pivotal passage in this marvelous letter. Uh, I'm just going to re- uh, re- remind us of what we've been learning so far. Uh, this letter has been teaching us that this author is incredibly mindful uh sensitive toward, and his audience is a people that is weak and wavering, losing heart, losing faith, fearful, tempted to give up on believing and worshiping and following Jesus. Uh, In fact, there was such a vicious public second wave of persecutions that was unleashed by Nero back in the 60s. That even some of the Romans pleaded for the persecutions to stop. And that's why this letter was written. That's why this letter was given. We don't know who the author is. But we certainly know the kind of people that he wrote this letter to. And so, what does Hebrews do? What's one of its main directives? Is when you are weak, when you are fearful, when you are being persecuted, when you feel like you want to give up. He directs all of their attention. Of course, he directs our attention to Jesus. I'm sure we can get that part. I hope that you can understand that's what the scriptures will always do. That it would direct our attention toward Jesus. But in today's passage, so beautifully... What we find is as we pay more attention to Jesus, we find how much Jesus has been paying attention to us. As we direct our attention to Jesus, we find how much more attention Jesus actually has been giving to us. Now, how much attention do we need? What kind of attention do we need? And I'm just going to close with some applications. Okay, three parts. How much attention do we really need? Second, what kind of attention does God give? And third, just a couple applications. You know, uh, Lanchi read read from chapter 4, verse 14. I'm going to jump back to chapter 3, verse 7. Okay, 7 through 9. Let's give our attention to this. Here it reads, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. So in those couple verses, it speaks of the wilderness, the wilderness. This was literal for a whole generation of the people of God. They went through the wilderness for 40 years. And it's also, of course, metaphorical. If you're somewhat a beginner or maybe an intermediate to this spiritual life or what Christian life is all about, you carry certain expectations, you want to keep it all positive, upbeat, maybe hyped, dramatic, sensational, and hopefully nonstop. Positive, upbeat, nonstop. But that is really not what the scriptures say, and that's not the reality of life. Much of life, sorry to say, is more like the wilderness than than Waikiki, Hawaii. Much more of your life of following Jesus will be like the wilderness than vacation resorts. And what God did was that he purposefully led his people for 40 years into the wilderness. Why would he do that? To prepare and to wean And actually lead them to something far better. But in the wilderness, as we just read in these verses, it's very easy to become hardened of heart. When you go into the wilderness, when it's tough, it's very easy to bicker, to get into fights with with one another, and to get bitter. In the wilderness, you can lose your way. In the wilderness, you can lose direction. In the wilderness, you can lose motivation. In the wilderness, you can stop believing and trusting and obeying God. In the wilderness, you can get resentful and rebellious and lose all hope. In fact, you can die in the wilderness, and a whole generation did. A whole generation of God's own people gave up, lost faith, lost heart, and they died in the wilderness. And they never made it to the promised land, which would provide real rest and abundant life. Now, I want you to consider this. Do you know what those people had who ended up dying in the wilderness? They had Moses. Moses was their leader, their pastor, their mediator. They had Aaron, a priest. They had Moses' successor, Joshua. Joshua who had military victory upon victory upon victory upon victory, and would bring back all the spoils and riches of war. They had God rain down bread or manna from heaven when they got hungry. When they were dying of thirst and complaining nonstop to Moses, out of a dry, hard rock, water came gushing forth. This is the same generation of people who had just witnessed their salvation from the kingdom of Egypt, one of the scariest empires in all of the ancient Near East, by God parting the Red Sea, which was preceded by ten miraculous plagues. At night, they had a pillar of fire guide them. That was the presence of God. It was a visual. And then in the day, so that you wouldn't get so sunburnt or exhausted, God covered them with a cloud. Now, you tell me, what more do you need to believe and trust and follow God? But they all, all all, died. And here is the astounding fact about your nature and my nature, your heart and my heart. We are so sin addicted. We're so forgetful. We're so weak and wavering. We drift so fast, so easy that what you and I need is far better attention than those Israelites got in the wilderness. We won't make it unless God gives us superior attention. And that's what we just read in chapter 4, verse 14. Hold fast to the confession. Our great high priest Jesus, who passed through the heavens. You know, without a great high priest, we won't make it. Without a great high priest, you won't make it through the wilderness of, not, of, of life, spiritually speaking. Without Jesus holding fast to him, what the scriptures teach us is you're going to go without the kind of attention you really need. Now, what kind of attention does God really give us? what kind of attention first sympathetic and gentle oh sympathetic and gentle you know in hebrews chapter one we uh, started to learn the highest type of christology okay the knowledge of the study of god is so exhausted uh lofty and uh, exalted but starting in hebrews 2 3 4 5 and all the way through it moves in the completely opposite direction we go from the highest christology to god Just moving and moving down, 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 closer and closer to you and me. See, unlike the Greek pantheon of gods or other imaginary gods who are lofty and safe and removed, they're off doing some higher, better things all the time and they should not be interrupted or bothered too much. This revelation of this God is entirely opposite. It's different. As much as the supremacy of Jesus is far above the angels, authorities, powers, rulers, kings, visible and invisible. Jesus turns around and uses all of his supremacy in sympathy as well. Hebrews, it seems to swing back and forth sometimes from the most seemingly You might say touchy-feely, really soft kind of counsel and comforts. And then like the next verse, it'll go to the most strong, shocking commands. Why does it do that? Why does the Bible do that? Why does it come from some, some of the most softest invitations? Come just as you are. Anyone, it doesn't matter what your past is. You come just as you are. And then it'll turn around and say, stop sinning. Repent. Go and sin no more. The reason for this is that Jesus is the one who perfectly embodies both. See, look at chapter 5, verse 2, which we just read. But let's look at it again. He can deal gently with the ignorant, talking about a priest, and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Now, this word, deal gently, in the Greek, comes from metripatheo. Metripatheo, that sounds like it comes from pathos. Pathos. There's a whole group of pho- of philosophers and teachers and even culturally speaking in jesus's day we still have them around in our day in certain cultures they believe that all situations of life you should deal uh, deal with it with apathy apathos no no passions, no emotions but interestingly enough here jesus is likened to a priest who deals with you how does he deal with you how does he deal with you when you go through all situations of life is it without pathos No, it's with the deepest, the sincerest sympathy and gentleness. Now, how did Jesus become sympathetic and gentle in his dealings with us? Did he have to go through something? Did he have to learn it, if you will? Well, it said in verse 2, he was beset by weakness. But first, I would say it this way. Jesus became sympathetic and gentle through personal experience. Again, chapter 4, verse 15. Chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And then it tells us the first reason how. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, he went through personal experience. What kind of personal experience? Well, it says every respect. That means the range of human experiences. The breadth and width of all kinds of human experience. Uh, Loneliness, abandonment, rejection, for sure. His best friends left him when he needed them the most. Public ridicule, false accusations, slander, humiliation. Oh, Jesus went through that. How about abuse? How about injustice? How about torture? Personal and systemic. Personally from individuals and through a series of corrupt rigged trials of the justice system and in Roman Empire that was politically bound to put him to the cross. Jesus, every respect, he went through it. Now, if you ever go to a counselor, you ever go to a pastor? You ever go to a nurse or doctor? And all of a sudden, you see that their bedside manner just remarkably changed overnight. More often than not, it's because that person went through exactly what you're going through. A personal, personal experience. Oh, a second aspect of why Jesus became so sympathetic and gentle with us suffered more loss. He suffered more loss. Now, what I mean by this is a person who has a lot more obviously loses more when that person loses everything they have. A person who is used to a lot more wealth, the lifestyles of the rich and famous, they lose all of that, suffers more loss then maybe when you and i suffer the loss of everything we have you know last year i was trying to get in better shape and uh truth be told i could not do one pull-up not one went to a public park brought after him, but make sure no one's watching and i got up there pathetic weak and just struggled the whole time called one of my friends as i can't do one pull-up encouraging said Harold, your muscles grow through the struggle. Just keep doing it. And then, lo and behold, after several weeks, I started to do two pull-ups. Three pull-ups. I was feeling so happy. I was feeling so encouraged because I had made some progress. Then I went to Pastor Daniel Penn, the one who presided today. He looks fit, doesn't he? So I said, hey, Daniel, how many pull-ups can you do? And he wouldn't answer the question. I asked him again, hey, you know, I just got around. I can do two or three pull ups. How many can you do? He would not answer the question. Because you know why? He's a modest, caring person. Because I eventually got the answer that he does pull ups until he just gets tired, tired out. He does so many pull ups, he lost count. And I told him this morning, there's one time you have been inadvertently discouraging to me while you've been at this church, Pastor Daniel Penn. It was that moment when you told me you do pull-ups to the point of utter exhaustion you know last week i saw the los angeles chargers play and there's a running back who's called pfp pound for pound that means he's pound for pound the strongest guy austin Eckler. and they had a little video of him doing pull-ups one armed one arm just boom 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 back and forth and i just sat there pretty depressed on my couch Now, I know that that is, oh, what a lame, lame analogy. But I want you to think about this. What would it be like for Austin Eckler and Daniel Penn to become me? To trade places with me? What would that feel like for them to lose all of that kind of strength? And then I want you to stop and consider. And I want you to think of. All that Jesus had. All the strength and privileges Jesus had. All the comfort. All the fellowship and love he was used to. The adoration. All the wealth and honor. I want you to consider how much Jesus had what he was used to, and by the way, eternally, and how much he must have suffered when he lost it all. See, what I'm trying to tell you, my dear friend, no matter what you're suffering, no matter how much you're suffering, no matter how gaping that loss seems to be, you have a great high priest who knows about losses and sufferings even more than you. He knows it further down than you. He's had his heart shattered by it more than you. Do you know this is how Jesus became so sympathetic and gentle with you? Personal experience, suffered more loss. You know, Christianity is the only religion to even claim that God sympathizes with people. Because he suffered just like you. As John Stott, Majestic Work, The Cross of Christ, if you have not read this book before, (coughs) excuse me, I cannot recommend it enough. One passage I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. (coughs) In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while, I have had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, Brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his, his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in the light of his. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross, which symbolizes divine suffering. The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in such a world as ours. Personal experience. Suffered more loss. Third. There's a lot more, but just we're going to close with the third aspect. Jesus was more tempted a lot more tempted he was tempted longer and harder than anyone ever has been or will be how do we know that because everybody in this room takes days off everybody in this room gives into temptation at some point Everybody in this room has excused or rationalized caving into a certain temptation. You actually feel like you deserve it. You need a break. Here is Jesus, however, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Meaning that every force of temptation that came his way, he endured and resisted it and fought it all the way to its end meaning jesus the son of god for him to be yet without sin took the full extent and throttle and force and the time with which it would take the demonic evil forces that were tempting and trying to seduce him in any any which way they could and he endured it all the way to the end this is why in chapter 5 verse 7 it says jesus prayed with loud cries and tears then in the book of hebrews it says he resisted to the point of shedding blood This is Jesus who, yet without sin, was more tempted than any of us has or can be. So, my friends, when you're going through temptations, oh, you feel like you're being just onslaught of temptations. You have a great high priest who knows exactly what that feels like. And he knows the reward and the joy of resisting it all the way to the end. You know what kind of attention we all really need to make it through the wilderness of life? A sympathetic and gentle high priest. One more aspect. Sacrifice of himself. The kind of attention we all need is someone who would sacrifice or give up themselves for you. You might have heard the saying, misery loves company. Misery loves company. My friends and I have joked about that many times through the years. Yes, when you're so miserable and down and out, it's good to get other people experience what you're experiencing. And you just kind of lament and groan over it. And there's so much camaraderie, solidarity. There's a, some encouragement there, a lot of power dynamics that are going on when you share that misery together. But when you're really, really, really miserable, I mean, it really hurts. You don't feel like you can make it past tomorrow. Real misery loves relief more. Real misery loves rescue a lot more. And suppose there's a special forces soldier, brave, skilled, strong, and you happen to be trapped in this detention camp way over behind Taliban lines. You got captured. You're in a little prison cell, and the whole future is looking so bleak. Somehow there is one lone soldier who makes it past all the gunfire, all those fences, makes it past all the guards, and breaks into your cell. What would you do? Probably weep for joy you probably hug and start almost worshiping this person with so much relief in your heart. There is hope now. But then you begin to realize that the same soldier who broke through tells you he has no plans to get out. He has no power to get out. In fact, the soldier himself only wanted to come and die with you in that cell. And as comforting and as sympathetic... And as gentle and as identifying as that may be, real misery wants to get out. And here's what Jesus Christ had to do. He didn't just break through all the enemy lines. He didn't just get to where you are. He didn't just reach you at your lowest point. He came all the way down and in so he can get you up and out. Do you know how he can do that? Only by himself. He died there in your place. He gave up his life in your place so that you might be set free. Oh, this is why chapter 5, verse 3 reads this. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those other people. Now, don't be confused here because this verse is talking about every normal, ordinary high priest, every human high priest. What do they do? They're all beset by weakness for sure. They all should deal gently with people for sure. But every human priest is obligated to offer sacrifice for what first? For himself first. Because every human priest is sinful just like you. Every human priest is under the same sentence of death just like you. Every human priest has to go around and be really religious and actually offer sacrifices, not for you first, for his own sins. And the reason why this verse is written it's to compare and contrast it's like a foil it has to drive us it sets us up we need a perfect superior better priest and jesus who comes is the only one only one because he had no sins in and of himself when he offers a sacrifice it's not for himself it's entirely for you And to pay off all the punishment and debt that your sins deserve. Only Jesus, because he never needed to pay for his own sin. He gives himself to completely pay for yours. And that's only once and for all. He never has to repeat it. He never has to do it again. That's why he's sitting down in chapter 1 verse 3. Because his lifeblood that he gave up is more powerful, more valuable, more cleansing than all the blood. All the blood of lambs, bulls, and goats. All the religious performances and piety of priests who were in the right robes and followed all the right orders. His lifeblood, one little drop of it is more valuable and cleansing to forgive you of all sins than all the blood you could offer all the performance you could offer because once and for all jesus the great high priest laid down his life gave himself as a sacrifice and my friends when you're going through the wilderness the wilderness the wilderness of life the only kind of love and attention and salvation you will find, the only kind of love and salvation you really need is the one that Jesus brings. Who was more tempted, who suffered more loss, and experienced everything in every respect. I'm just going to close with a couple applications here, okay? Real quick. Applications. First, admit your need. Admit your need. Uh, You might be a person who says, I'm I'm pretty spiritual, I'm religious, I'm at church today, <laughs> I'm here in person, I check in with God from time to time, he inspires me, I get my moral code from him, I get guidance, I feel blessed by him from time to time, but can I ask you, have you ever admitted or asked God for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you ever admitted that you need a great high priest who would sacrifice himself for you from all your sins? You know, in other words, is this Jesus Christ, your great high priest? How would you know if he is or not? Here's how you can tell. Chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One of the sure signs that Jesus is your great high priest, that you are a Christian person living out a Christian life, is this verse. The surest sign is that you have a confident, attention-seeking, grace and mercy-needing prayer life with God. One of the surest signs that Jesus has indeed become your great high priest is you have a prayer life that actually is growing in dependence with God. Because you know, all of us in this room, we are attention-seeking. We are desperately attention-needing. We all need it. And we keep trying to find it in a spouse or a job or in a claim. But here it says, that kind of attention that your heart most needs, the grace and mercy that would really, really fill your soul, only comes through when you can with confidence go before God. Because Jesus gave up himself for you anytime you need it. Anytime you need it. All right, second application, and we're done. So, sympathize and deal gently with one another. Admit your need and then sympathize. Turn around and deal gently with, with one another. Until you get this kind of ministry from the great high priest who is Jesus. How can you do that for other people? How can you do that for your kids? How can you do that for that person at work? How can you do that for that person in small group? How can you do that for those people who you've lost touch with for so long and you're concerned and worried about them? In our passage, of course, it's all about sympathy. And everything is plural in our passage. It's the we's and the ours, meaning be and do sympathy and gentleness with and to one another. Oh, but also, in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, it reads this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort, exhort, our passage, sympathy, gentleness. Exhort, our passage, all about be a counselor like Jesus was. But you've got to put all this together. Exhort, the dictionary definition is, to urge someone strongly. To exhort someone means a strong alarm. Like the sirens go off. You want to tell this person in such a way that the warnings and all the alarm bells just start ringing. Strong and sympathetic. Hard and soft. Truth and grace, truth in grace, truth and love, truth in love. Because there are a lot of times in my life and in your life, sympathy or pity would be the worst thing for you to get. If I am stubbornly in sin, if I am being toxic, if I might be abusive, how about criminal? If I am not repenting, if I am the type of person who is just presenting a problem for every solution. I am the one losing it all the time. I'm not quite sure sympathy would work for you then. Oh, but then there's so many other times. You don't need anyone to tell you anything. You don't even want them to speak. You just want them to come and say And weep with you. You actually need for someone to sit. And just listen. And sympathize. And be gentle with you. We need both. We need both intertwined. Or else you're not going to make it through the wilderness. You're not going to flourish as a human being. And so which pastor, which parent, which counselor, which doctor, which which? Which person in this room has both perfectly? We know the only one who has both is in Jesus Christ. And as we do this with one another and receive more of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus from one another, because I'm so weak in strength, I need strong people. Because I'm so weak in sympathy, I need sympathetic people. Because I'm so off kilter, so off balance, I need the church. I need models. I need people who tell me, oh, my goodness, that didn't go too well. Because I am wayward and wandering and lost in the wilderness, I have a great high priest who comes down and gives me exactly what I really, really need the most. At the right time in the right way. Hallelujah. Thanks be to him. And the way that Jesus gives all that to me, it's through you. With and through one another. You know I used to say a couple years ago. These are the last days. Last days just means when Hebrews was written. And until Jesus comes back. You know we got to be very urgent. We got to be very sober. We got to be very vigilant. We're in the last days. I don't think I have to emphasize that point as much as now. I don't think. I think it's actually being proven. The last days. You know this season now. This season we're going through in the west. The season that's happening across churches in the West right now. All of these applications. All of these warnings. And all of these commands. They're not optional. They're for our survival. They are for our survival. And thank God Jesus gave up his life. So that he might continue life of his people and that more people would be brought to him can i pray for us let's pray father in heaven we thank you for your word we thank you for your holy spirit who is the spirit of jesus our great high priest and lord i pray that all of your manifold ministry in the ways we need it most would be received would be felt And I pray, oh God, even for some who have yet to ask Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Know Jesus with a love from their hearts. Lord, I pray that you would grant salvation. Rescue those who need you most. Hear us, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.